Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is an awfully big body of water. We're looking for a needle in a haystack. And we're talking about a needle that moves constantly. He's checked the floating traps he hand-curated. Right now is a combination of drumsticks, rats, and uh, smelt. Yum. Well, as far as a gator goes, that's a pretty good off. All right, Gator Bob, that's enough of you. <laughs> I love Gator Bob. And then the reporter goes, yum. That was pretty funny reporter. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? We're live. Yes, it's Friday. Live stream chat. What's happening? Weigh in. Give us a song of the day request. I think we have one already. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's the story of the editorial. Bow, wow, wow. <laughs> love the guitar and that's wow, wow. Yeah. And sometimes they're just walking down the street singing that song. Yeah. <laughs> People are like, you are weird, man. Those are songs specifically for the Ben Jarofsky show. All right. From Michael Girardi. You can find that music. Bandcamp. Michael Girardi. G-E-R-A-R-D-I. All right. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, June 19th. It's just moments away. But before we do this... Let's thank the following unions for sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9 are sponsors, as well as the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Giant thank you to those unions for sponsoring this program. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by our good friends, at the Chicago Federation of Labor. I've seen a whole lot of catfish, some turtles. Uh, no gators yet, though. Love, hipster gator guy. <laughs> I do miss. I wonder what that guy's doing right now. Oh, I gotta. I <laughs> know. <laughs> oh, he probably cut his hair, shaved, got a good job working at a tech company. Come on, D. You know how the game is played. All right, I'm looking at the live stream chat here. Your song of the day is uh -oh. the Scooby-Doo theme song. Oh, come on. Scooby-Doo-Doo. Yeah. Oh, you were close. That was pretty good. I, I have just, uh, uh, there's no Shooby-Dooby-Doo. No, there's not. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. <laughs> Scooby, don't ever sing that again. It is Friday, June 19th, and live from Ben's attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Ramana Rundown with Chicago Sun-Times editor, Ramana Hussein. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Editorial Board Friday. And here's why. Well, Dave, looks like I'm going to have to take a stand today. Or should I say a tough stand? You know, taking stands, D, can be easy. 
when the stand you're taking is something that everybody agrees with. For instance, <clears throat> just saying, this is just a for instance. Let's say you were to take a stand against one Donald John Trump on a liberal radio station. All the people who run the station, we go, good boy, good boy, here's your biscuit, roll over, right? Oh, good boy, you're allowed to criticize Trump. <laughs> go criticize him some more, okay? But let's say you were to take a stand on that same station against, oh, I don't know, a Democratic-run city of Chicago TIF program that unfairly gives money to rich white neighborhoods at the expense of poor black ones. What's the response? You're fired! So, you know, you can pay a price for taking a tough stand, Dean. All right? So my, uh, you know, experience in life tells me that uh, maybe it's not such a good idea to take a tough stand. But, you know, Dee, I'm a host of a talk show, and people expect me to have a point of view on all the issues of the day. And if I don't have a point of view, if I want to conceal my point of view, there's a certain Dr. D who's known for being very devilish. And so when he's reading the news, he'll say something like, the CTU uh, has retweeted a tweet of Scooby-Dooby-Doo uh, <laughs> mocking Lori Leffa. Ben, what do you think? Is it racist? And I'm like, how about, how about, how about? <laughs> Anything I say will be held against me by somebody in this dispute. I have to take a stand. And then I go, well, you know, D, uh, what do you think? And then which Dennis always says, uh, that's my, my name <laughs> on the wall. Which, of course, it's not my name either because now we're in the attic. So there's no name on the wall at all. So I'm going to make Dennis take the stance. Anyway, we discuss Scooby-Dooby-Doo. By the way, we'll be discussing it uh, further. Stacey Davis-Gates will be our guest, 3.30, uh, for a bonus feature, right, D? Yes. We'll record it and drop it probably Saturday. Uh, anyway, so uh, so back to taking a, t a stand. A few days ago, the editorial board of my beloved Bright One, the Chicago Sun-Times, weighed in with an editorial saying, uh, it's time to get tough, and that uh, city workers, union city workers, must take pay cuts and furloughs for the good of the team. Uh, the good of the team means that uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot has said that we're facing an enormous budget gap, uh, in part because of the COVID-19 pandemic, which has uh, shut down so many uh, businesses and caught taxes that flow into the city and so uh, to make up for the deficit uh, city workers are either going to have to take days off take a pay cut work more etc and so forth and the editorial board uh, weighed in agreeing 100 with Lori lightfoot uh, today bob Ryder in the same chicago sun times give the sun times credit they present both sides bob Ryder, president of the chicago federation of labor weighed in with his response and this is what he responded to <clears throat> i will now do a public reading day of the editorial that was in today's newspaper, which I read. The Sun-Times, this is Bob Ryder writing, the Sun-Times editorial board seems to think the appropriate response to their efforts is to cut, their efforts meaning city workers, is to cut their income and increase their workload. Not only would the austerity measures suggested by the Sun-Times fail to make any significant impact on the financial plight of state and local governments, a fact the editorial board readily acknowledges, but they would demean public service and prolong the COVID-induced, I wrote over it, I couldn't read it, sorry, Bob, the COVID-induced economic slump, uh, end of quote. So that's what Bob uh, Ryder weighed in. And now <clears throat> I'm going to have to take a stand on this issue, D, and no matter what stand I take, uh, I'm going to offend uh, somebody because yeah, it's called being a host of a podcast, pal. <laughs> uh, because let's think of one hand, Bob Ryder, uh, uh, Chicago Federation, so generously uh, sponsors this show. So they're a sponsor. On the other hand, so does the Sun Times. <laughs> and you know, when uh, there's not a COVID nineteen pandemic, they let us use the studio 
very right down the hall from the bathroom. Do you remember that lovely yeah. little And studio? they pay me. <laughs> it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, and plus there's some really nice people in the editorial board. Let me just uh, shout them out. Uh, give them shout-outs. Tommy Mack, the knife. That's correct. Me, Lee Bay, Lorraine Forte. They've all been on the show. And, you know, I don't know if you know this, Steve, but they can be really nasty if you criticize one of the editorial boards. I mean, one of their editorials. You know, they'll... they'll Catch me in the corner. They'll be like Roman Polanski and Shannon. Hey, kitty cat. You know what we do to guys who are wise guys who make fun of our tutorials? Hunk kitty cat, hunk kitty cat. And they take a knife and they cut my nose. <laughs> they don't really do that. I just wanted an excuse to do my hey, kitty cat, Roman Polanski imitation, which I haven't done in a long time. And I know millennials everywhere go, oh, you. Way to keep these listeners <laughs> enthralled here. <laughs> Hang tight, millennials. Chinatown. Never heard of it. Jack Nicholson. Who's that? Uh, man, I got to get young and hip. I just learned who Scooby Doo was, D. We got a lot to catch up to do. Anyway, so they don't really do the kitty cat thing, but I'm just having fun with it. All right. <clears throat> so uh, what's it going to be? Am I going to go with the Sun-Times uh, or am I going to go with Bob Ryder? And I must take a stance. So sorry, editorial board, but Bob Ryder is right. And I'm going to say something that's going to upset many of my listeners right now. Oh, boy. Here I go, D. I'm getting in trouble wherever I go. But. Follow me on what I'm about to tell you, sometimes editorial board and listeners. Just because the mayor of the city of Chicago says something does not mean it's true. Okay? I know that that is a shocking blow for many people, particularly the north side of Chicago. They love Lori Lightfoot so much. If Lori Lightfoot were to get up tomorrow and say the sun rises in the west and sets in the east, north side of Chicago, Ben, she has a point. Why do you got to be so critical all the time? That's how they... That's <laughs> when I bang them. You bang the desk, man. Stop it. Freaking uh, me out. I learned that from Sergio. Anyway, they do love uh, uh, Lori uh, Lightfoot on the north side. I just, just always have fun with that one. But um, reality is, we don't know what the deficit is that the city of Chicago is facing. Uh, and we don't know to a certain degree because of a program uh, that I like to call the TIF program, and I like to call it it because that's what it is. And every year, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, get uh, siphoned into or diverted into bank accounts, largely controlled by the mayor. And we don't know how much uncommitted money is in those bank accounts. And so we cannot make prudent decisions about how we're going to allocate the money we have, who's going to have to take a cut, who's going to get fired, how do we what department gets what until we do and why don't we know how much money is in those bank accounts because the mayors of the city of chicago don't want you to know how much money is in those bank accounts and why do they want to keep you ignorant because your ignorance is their power the less knowledge you have about the amount of money you've been giving them the less say you'll have and how they spend it and by the way it doesn't take much to keep people ignorant. Out-of-town listeners are always amazed. We have a lot of out-of-town listeners, Dave. They're always amazed like how ignorant Chicagoans are. Chicagoans love to live in ignorance. They just love to believe the mayor. It's like, it's easy. The mayor said it, Ben. It must be true. So this is what I say. I, I, I believe that until we have a financial audit, a legitimate financial audit by an outside entity that tells us exactly how much uncommitted TIF dollars there are in those slush funds, in those slush fund bank accounts. No city worker should take a pay cut. 
no city worker should have to take a day off. We got to know what the reality is before we bow to what the mayor says. I want to close by quoting the great Michael Girardi. That's the story of the editorial. Bow, wow, 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 wow. We got a great show today, everybody. <laughs> Should have just said editorial board. Not that weird noise you're doing. That is the reverb of the guitar. And yes, it's true. A lot of times when I'm walking at night and I sing that song, I do that. Yeah, the killer ending there and it just ruined it with bow, wow, wow, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Sounds like a Deidre do or something. Sometimes I do Hendrix when I'm on my walks. And which... Okay, when I'm doing Jimi Hendrix, play with the left hand. When I'm doing Michael Girardi, right. I assume he's right-handed. I don't know. Maybe he's left-handed. Anyway, we have a great show today. Ramada, who says she is fired up. She's getting ready to talk about DACA. She wants to talk a little bit about, uh, oh, she's going to get into the Columbus statue uh, debate. Let's see what she has to say about that. Uh, and we're probably going to talk a little bit about uh, Hassan Minaj's Patriot Act. Uh, very um, interesting show he had uh talking about how we cannot stand silent, especially the Asian community. So we'll see what uh, Ramana has to say. And I think she's also going to throw Mick under the bus, her husband. <laughs> she's already threw him under the bus in the pre-show prep. So that'll be always, I love my favorite part of the Ramana Hussein show is when she throws Mick under the bus. Anyway, plenty of great talk with uh, Ramana Hussein. But before we do that, the young man from Alton, the man they call Dr. Doobie with the news. Hey, I'm Dennis. All right, before we find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois for the fourth and, uh, fourth and final time this week, we need to remind everyone about this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. Mm. Yes, typically every Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, a brand new one-on-one -on -one interview for you to download at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Yes, live streamers, we encourage you go find these both Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader websites. Go download them. Uh, let's run through the lineup here on Saturday around here, even in the attic. We call her Governor Gates. <laughs> it's SDG. Chicago Teachers Union Vice President Stacy Davis Gates. We're actually going to be talking with her after today's show. Ben, what do you plan on talking? Uh, we'll do a little Scooby Dooby Doo. Scooby. Oh, I knew that Scooby Doo is from um, the Frank Sinatra song. That's. I was trying to think of what. It... Dooby Dooby Doo. Oh. Look, suddenly, Mr. I Know Frank Sinatra. The guy I'm was Dr. Doobie Doobie Doo. <laughs> Scooby Doobie Doo. Hey, doo -doo. Yeah, we'll talk a little of that. And, uh, you know, we'll probably uh, talk about all kinds of things with Stacey Davis Gates, but we'll start with that. <laughs> yeah, that's a way to get him to listen. We're going to talk about all kinds of things. <laughs> Any specifics? Scooby Doo Gate? Yeah, we'll talk Scooby Doo Gate. Uh, we'll talk about Juneteenth. Uh, and we'll talk about uh, Donald Trump and George, uh, George Floyd and policing and defunding the police and the relationship between the police union and the teachers union and all kinds of things with SDG. Yeah, she's quickly become a pretty popular political figure here in the city of Chicago. And she's going to be right here on the phone. Oh, and she also wants to talk about Kyrie Irving uh, and the, the Brewing Rebellion in the NBA. Uh, Stacey Davis Gates, a big basketball fan, as you know, D. Uh, remember we did that uh, show the talk discussing uh, the uh, the last dance mm -hmm. uh, and uh, she was one of the guests we had uh, so probably talk about the Kyrie Irving rebellion uh, the uh, basketball players in the NBA are really taking strong stands these days so we'll be talking about that as well that interview will be available for download at 5 a.m. tomorrow morning on Sunday well 
our good friend and director of the Black Harvest Film Festival, Sergio Mims, makes his return, and he's talking all things Spike Lee along with Danielle Scruggs. Ben, tell us a little bit about That's this. That's a great conversation we had yesterday. We already recorded it. Sergio Mims, Daniel Scruggs, take the deep dive on Defy Blood, Spike Lee's latest movies. And then we just kind of just started riffing. We started talking about Spike Lee's career, talking about how, where this movie fits in with other Spike Lee movies. And then somehow or other, we got on to a, uh, a conversation about Gone with the Wind and how Gone with the Wind fits in with American culture. And uh, it was just a, a great conversation for, with uh, two really smart people who know just not just no movie. I'm a, I, I got to tell you, Sergio Wims probably knows more mo about movies than anyone I know, but um, just life in general. So great conversation. Sergio Mims, Danielle Scruggs. And that will be Sunday, correct? Sunday at 5 a.m. That will be available. And finally, on Monday, once again, available at 5 a.m., we call it Alder Monday. Whoa. <laughs> That's really good. I ben, tell it. us about it. Uh, well, we'll have a We haven't done this one yet. This We recorded today as well. Busy day for us, huh, D? Huh? Yeah. Uh, Rosanna Rodriguez and Daniel Espada will be talking about the, uh, quote-unquote, defund police movement in the city council. What exactly do they mean about it? The messaging behind it? Uh, what they would like to see, how they'd like to see money spent? What's the likelihood that it will pass? what's the resistance they're facing etc and so forth once again that's going to be monday available at 5 a.m it's this weekend's benny j bonus interviews those and more available at both chicago sun times and chicago reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast go download it go tell your friends and uh yeah those are going to be available. All right, moving on. Scooby-Doo Part 2. <laughs> Scooby-Doo-Bee-Doo. Oh, that's hey, not going to get old. Dude. That's what I was trying to remember, D. Go ahead. No one cares. More on that in moments. <laughs> but first, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. And for the record, I love puppies. Yeah, we know you do. Today, the governor is attending a peace march in celebration of Juneteenth. Thousands are gathered downtown as we speak in celebration of the 150-year-old tradition. And, you know, I don't know about the rest of you, but I sort of miss what became about a three-month tradition. I miss our daily COVID-19 updates from Governor Pritzker. And, JB, I think we're due a couple, bud. Thousands have been gathering downtown side-by-side side for about three weeks straight. Coronavirus is still a thing, right? Bars, restaurants, and other establishments are slowly starting to open back up. Wait, are we getting back to normal? Well, since we don't have daily COVID-19 updates these days, we have to rely on opinions. And if any of us follow the opinions from the head of the Illinois Department of Public Health, holy crap, we are nowhere near getting back to normal. Yeah. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Tina Spondelas. The headline reads, Hugs, Haircuts, Handshakes, yep. Dr. Azike's Do's and Don'ts. The head of the Illinois Department of Public Health, Dr. Azike, told the Sun-Times in a wide-ranging interview about her personal do's and don'ts as she helps Illinois navigate through the pandemic. Ben, what do you say we go through some of these do's and don'ts? All right. Let's see how you feel about these. Let's okay. gauge it on uh, how uh, you know, you're going to go about living life for the All next right. Yeah, no, I read the so, article. I got really scared. So everybody, please take notes. Or Ben, please take notes. We need to stay healthy in this attic. Oh, and by the way, once again, if you plan on following these rules, rules to a T. Good luck meeting new people without looking like a complete lunatic for the next year or so. That's correct. All right. First, the doctor is okay with outdoor restaurants, but she said she'd wait at least three months to feel safe with indoor dining. Ben, how safe would you feel at a restaurant at this moment, outdoor or indoor? Uh, I'm really uh, the paranoid type. 
and I'm very nervous about the germs, so I'm not feeling it. Uh, and I love restaurants. God, it's coming from me. D, I used to eat out so many. I love restaurants, so I really miss going to restaurants. But I'm not ready. I'm not ready to make that plunge. Uh, there's Even when I see people sitting outside dying. All right, so let's say this. I'm going to paint the, the scene here. I'm not ready. I'm you're, walking ready outside, you're walking outside. You're going by a restaurant you really like. There's seating outside. No one is there. It's completely open. Oh, I would do you I would, go? Yeah, I would sit. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not insane. Uh, and I would sit there. Then if someone comes, boom, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. Uh, like, you don't sit here, all right? Uh, now I'm really, I, I admit I'm really uh, weird about uh, the pandemic and very nervous about it. And uh, maybe when I walk down the street, I'm always avoiding, even now, I'm avoiding people. And so, yeah, I'm weird. And, uh, and then when I read uh, Dr. Zeke's, uh, remarks in today's paper. I got even more nervous. So, uh, but uh, you know, uh, let me think about this. The um, this is my I do believe in supporting restaurants. So at least a couple times a week, if you can afford it, get the takeout and uh, don't be cheap. Don't go through some Grubhub thing. Just go straight up. Get the takeout. Yeah, even in a pandemic, guys, don't be cheap. <laughs> Come on, guys, don't be cheap. Go go or lazy. <laughs> I'm lazy. I I I I want it delivered. <laughs> uh, just go get it yourself, and you know, or order it directly, and and then give the tip. Don't be cheap. Come on, help the restaurants out. Now, as far as haircuts are concerned, Dr. Azike said uh, she herself is waiting to get a haircut, and she got a manicure behind plexiglass from a woman who has done her nails for 15 years. Manicures, Ben, when, when's the next time you're getting one? <laughs> the next time would be the first time, D. <laughs> uh, not, not that I have anything against and manicures. You have nothing to worry about with Just haircuts. Just not a manicure kind of guy. And you have nothing to worry about with haircuts, right? Well, no, I don't, because uh, my hair has been cut by my wife since... 1981 uh sorry butter cow uh and uh, but i've watched uh, this is something i know about the hair cutting industry because i'm married to a hair cutter and so i've watched the the lengths they've gone uh, to take care of themselves and they're very proud my wife uh and her partner are very proud of uh, all the precautions they've taken and they've been complimented by doctors so my hat goes off my hat off to my wife and her partner jenny uh, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's safe to go get a haircut, especially if the, the barber or the haircutter is following the same protocol that my wife is. It's the butter cow, which has nine hearts to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. That's right, it's made entirely out of butter. And it, you know, it's a state fair tradition since at least 1922. <laughs> For those wondering, I <laughs> cut my own hair. I just got clippers. I just do a zero, boom, me, buzz it, Always, and I'm good to go. You know what? Somebody was telling me they cut their own hair, you know. Like, I was going to be happy about that, you know. Well, I cut my own hair. Great, you know. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, Don't worry about anything. Yeah. All right, now to the question that damn near everyone in America has been wondering. Mm -hmm. What about the good old classic American handshake? Well, when can we start shaking hands again? First of all, I didn't like the handshake in the first place. I, I, I actually wrote about that. I, I don't, I'm not a handshake guy to begin with. Uh, you know, I just, I, don't know. I could go on and on about handshakes. And so this is one of the things, uh, I, the pandemic that created by the pandemic that I wasn't crying over, D. No more handshakes. That's okay. No handshakes. There was elbow bumps. Remember? Remember? Because guys used to come into the studio. Everybody would shake hands. And then for a while, we're doing the elbow bump. Remember that? Yeah, uh, that and, was awkward. <laughs> well, anyway. So, uh, hey, let's just, you know, forget about handshakes. Who needs a handshake? 
Just show love in your heart. How about that, D, huh? Show love in your heart. You don't have to shake anyone's hand. Oh, that was nice. Yeah. So, well, no handshakes. According to Dr. Azike, the time frame to when we can expect to start shaking hands again is, quote, between a year and never again. <laughs> I like the never again part. <laughs> Let's just forget the handshake. It's so overrated anyway. Okay, yeah. now I've been bowling with you. Yeah. And uh, your bowling team, Trouble, boy, yeah. you guys do some very uh, coordinated handshakes. Are those done? When, when someone gets a strike, you should see these guys. When someone gets a strike, they're playing patty cake, essentially. So is that out of the window once we uh, get back? Uh, probably. Now, that's the well, exception to the Good luck with role. that. Look, at he thinks he's like a pen. I've caught you <laughs> in the contradiction there. <laughs> well, and my response to that, D, is habada, habada, habada. Uh, yes, it's true. We love it. It is petty. Oh, it is do it deep, right there. deeply coordinated, these handshakes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I do like, uh, I do enjoy doing that. But it's only after a strike, uh, just so you know. Okay, after you get a strike, you do that. So I will miss that. God, I just miss bowling. I haven't bowled since... The end of February. And, uh, yeah, so th that's not on the list. When we get to go back to bowling, which is, I don't know. So, do you have your own bowling ball? Of course. What? Right. Do I have my own bowling ball? Just making sure. I've been bowling every Monday night since 1996. <laughs> You're extra today, pal. 1996. <laughs> so, yeah, I have my own bowling ball and my own bowling shoes. and uh, But... So I don't know when we're going to go back to bowling. And when we do go back, I don't know if we're going to do the complicated handshake. Oh, man, that was like a, a thing. That was like a staple of team trouble. Yeah, I know. And then but we tried, tried teaching Dennis it. Yeah, I'm like, what are you guys doing? And like, oh, guys, I'm not really comfortable with this whole handshake thing. Oh, that's exactly what I said. I'm not comfortable. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? And I just gave you a high five. Boom, done. All right, now, what about a hug from a friend? Those are always nice, right? What do you think the time frame on hugging uh, a friend is uh, for uh, Dr. Azike? A hug from a friend, huh? According to the doctor, quote, we can show love virtually. Like you said earlier, show love virtually. Well, I'm a big hugger. Everybody knows I love hugging. <laughs> I'm not much for handshakes, but I love a hug. And then, so the other night, the bowling team got together. I'll probably give you more details than anybody. We got together for uh, a, uh, a barbecue at one of my friend's house. Uh, we were all spread out. We started the evening really doing well with the social distancing thing. But then as we started with the drinking, drinking. all of a sudden this, we forgot about it. And at the end, hey, man, I love you, hugging. And <laughs> <laughs> so, but the time has passed, you know what I mean? We're, you know what I'm saying? Well, so shaking another person's hand out of the question for Ben. Grabbing onto another person's body, fully cool <laughs> in the Ben Jarofsky camp. I just, I don't know, I'm, a, I'm a hugging <laughs> kind of guy. If I like, come on, man. Hug it. Let's hug it out. Yeah, I'm a hugger. Good time. I'm a hugger. Uh, but I guess that's over, too. So I'll just wave at people. Hi. Hi how are you doing? Ezekiel said she's pro beaches, however. Uh, she said pro quote, beaches? Pro beaches. Wow. No hugging, but beaches. Okay. Right, right. She said, quote, I think you could do that safely. You can get into your little spot and just be with your kids and keep everybody away. <laughs> Maybe even wear a mask and be distant from other people. Uh, adding she's not personally ready to visit beaches herself, but said it could be safely done. Yeah, she says not this summer, though. Not this. See, this is the other thing. We don't know if we're going to have, you know, it's going to be another outbreak. And I mean, I've heard so many mixed D different opinions, different stories on this subject. So if you, if it's unsafe to go to the beach now and we have an outbreak next summer, it's going to be unsafe then too, right? So we'll be doing another interview. Oops, sorry, another year. 
Uh, hey, so. what about flying, huh? What should one do when flying during the pandemic? Well, pray. <laughs> okay, there's that's one. Huh? I, I don't like flying anyway. <laughs> According to Dr. Azike, uh, she uh, should she have to fly on an airplane? Azike said she'd book a 5 a.m. flight and said, quote, I would try to get a seat all the way in the back and board first and then try to wait for everybody to get off. I would try to do as much as I could and wear a mask. And hopefully if someone had to be seated close to me, be very antisocial and have my back to the person the entire time. <laughs> just stay home, doctor. Yeah, just don't take the flight. Why don't you just like, charter a plane or something? I, 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 uh, she sounds like me, by the way, walking down the street. This is me walking down the street. I see someone coming my way. Detour. I even have little sound effects that I do. Oh, yeah, we just heard. Oh, those are good. Those are really good. That's okay. Good. You can have the whole street. I'll do the detour. Okay? I'll do the detour. All right. People are like, this guy is so weird, man. All right. So uh, that's By the way, when you go out, do you have your mask? Who, me? Yeah. Yeah, I got my mask. I got a little, I got like a, it's a thing you put around your neck, a little gator mask, I think they call it. Yeah. I got it. Just put it around. Boop. I'm always, I don't wear it, but as soon as I see someone, there goes the mask. Yeah, yeah. I am a little When I go into stores, I put the mask on. Yeah. I, uh, sending a kid to camp, by the way, uh, now with individual sports drills or training with no contact. We were, our neighbor, uh, we were chatting with her outside the house yesterday. Dee, you were there. Hey, neighbor. Uh, and uh, she is a uh, camp counselor, and she was telling us about uh, what it's like, all the social distancing with the kids. It must be really rough because, I mean, when we were kids, we used to love wrestling. Did you ever wrestle when you were a kid, Dee? Oh, hell like yeah. 10 years old, yeah, love yeah. wrestling. Ugh, let's wrestle. <laughs> now you can't wrestle. So it's tough. This pandemic's no joke. Can't wait. Uh, and by the way, Kwame Roll, is that part of your news? Nope. We didn't do any pre-show prep. <laughs> uh, well, we're really impressing that. you guys today <laughs> not supposed to admit that Kwame Roa, big story in the Sun we talked about it yesterday but a uh, uh, big story with France Bielman I did an interview with him France Bielman show catch it uh, right at the Sun Times huh D huh? tell us about it yeah it's, uh, it was dropped yesterday and uh, she says hey, here it is solitary confinement in my bedroom so Attorney General Kwame Roa I hope you get better real soon what did they talk about what Fran and uh, well, Kwame Roa according talk to about? the article they talked about how he's sick Mm. And, and, you know, he's trying to figure out, he doesn't know how he got the, the virus, and, but it's real. And this just kind of dovetailed. I read the, you know, you, when you read the Sun-Times, the real newspaper, D, it's like a book. So you open it up and you go page two, and page three, and you're, it's like a page. And then so you got Kwame Raul, and I read that article, and you turn the page, and that's when I got uh, to Dr. Zike. I was like, oh, my God, I just read Kwame Raul. It's kind of a upsetting day reading the newspaper, uh, my beloved bright one, so... All right, so uh, that's the story there. Uh, what are your do's and don'ts uh, moving forward here? Uh, everybody, weigh in on the live stream chat. Let us know. Handshakes. When's the next time you're going to give someone a handshake? Hugs. Ben's ready to give someone a hug like right now. Dude, stay away from me, but he's ready to give out no, some I'm hugs. a big hugger. Right? Everybody knows that. He's a big hugger, guys. Big hugger. Love hugging. <laughs> but, uh, no, I when, again, when we had the barbecue, the hugs were at the end of the barbecue, okay? <laughs> we had a few to drink. Some libations. All right, so that's that. And now uh, the follow-up from yesterday's top story. I guess we're calling it Scooby-Doo Gate. Uh, the time when the Chicago Teachers Union uh, tweeted a cartoon of uh, the classic Scooby-Doo scene, which we found out yesterday Ben hadn't <laughs> had no clue what Scooby-Doo was. 
What? Other than that, though, we're going to talk about this tweet. Wait, hold on. Can I just say something in my defense? Yeah, I thought about this when I was walking. You know, I was like feeling really dumb and everybody knew about Scooby-Doo except for me. I felt like like everybody got invited to the party and I didn't get invited because I didn't know about Scooby-Doo. Uh, but then I talked to another baby boomer, and she didn't really know what Scooby-Doo was. And so now in my defense, D, the reality is that that cartoon came out in 69, 70. I was through watching cartoons. Okay, just saying. So that's my defense. Uh, there's no reason I should have known what Scooby-Doo was, even though everybody <laughs> seems to know it. Everybody got the joke. I didn't get it. I had to have Dennis explain the joke to me. Yeah, so the Chicago Teachers Union uh, tweeted out uh, a cartoon. It's the the famous Scooby-Doo scene uh, where it had Lightfoot dressed up as a cop and tied up in the rope there. And, uh, you know, then they had the mask, and it was the mask of a cop. And, you know, it's the classic Scooby-Doo scene with all Caucasians, by the way, the Scooby-Doo gang, uh, Fred, Thelma, or Velma, Shaggy, all that. Well, uh, there's some dog, isn't there? There's some dog. That's Scooby Doo, dude. Oh, okay. There's some dog. <laughs> okay, forgot that. The yeah, Scooby Doo. I forgot. Okay. <laughs> the dog had a name. But he was. Okay, we're just gonna keep going here. Uh, so the Chicago <laughs> Teachers Union has deleted the tweet. Good. Uh, yeah, yeah. The tweet still stayed up through much of the day before it ultimately disappeared from CTU's Twitter feed. The following comes from Illinois Politico, by the way. Uh, high-profile activists and politicos had already weighed in about it. Uh, Deborah Cozy Lane of the uh, Almagated Transit. Our transit union tweeted, quote, I'm all for labor support, but very disappointed in this tweet from the CTU. A black woman surrounded by whites in a police uniform in this racial war? Really? Tony Preckwinkle weighed in as well, the Cook County Board President. Uh, she faced off against Lightfoot in the mayor's race, as we all know here. She said, quote, thought it was in poor taste. And uh, she asked whether she'd ask union leadership to remove the tweet. Preckwinkle uh, said she wouldn't go that far uh, to remove the tweet. Uh, she said, quote, what they do is on them. Uh, moving on here. Way to take the strong stand, Tony. We talked about strong stands at the start of the show. It's tough because the CTU is a big supporter of uh, Tony Preckwinkle. Go ahead, D. And David Goldenberg of the Anti-Defamation League tweeted, Quote, deeply concerned about this tweet and image at CTU Local One needs to do better than this and owes Chicago's mayor an apology. Uh, and, and the mayor did respond to the tweet as well, saying uh, that it was a little racist. Uh, then coming, moving on here, she says, while it was up, uh, CTU spokeswoman Chris Giovannis offered a lengthy statement accusing the mayor of rejecting the calls of protesters on behalf of, quote, our black brothers and sisters. Our intent was, as it always has been, to stir the powerful from their slumber and stand steadfast behind those black people and especially young black leaders in their struggle for a new Chicago built on real justice, not broken promises and failed policies to every demand this mayor and this administration has offered a resounding no. Yeah, well, I'm uh, with Tony Preckwinkle on this one. Uh, I, I thought it was in poor taste, and I wish they hadn't done it, and I'm glad they took it down, uh, and I urged them to take it down yesterday. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, there's a, a larger political fight going on between uh, the Chicago Teachers Union and Tony Preckwinkle. We've talked about this many times in the show. Talked about it with Stacey Davis-Gates. Uh, and... Um, it's a fight that began in the mayoral election, 
when CTU came out uh, strong for Tony Perkwinkle, a little too strong in my humble opinion. Uh, and it's a fight that uh, Lori Lightfoot has been uh, encouraging ever since. For whatever reason, she just cannot bring it to herself to forgive the Chicago Teacher Union for the strong stand uh, they took on behalf of Lori, uh, excuse me, on behalf of Tony Perkwinkle and against her. Uh, and so here we are a year or so into things, and we have the mayor of the city of Chicago, a very a democratic city, a liberal city, by and large, uh, feuding with the teachers' union. The teachers' union is sort of the epitome of what progressive, liberal, whatever you want to call it, uh, unions that uh, support the Democratic Party. So it's really bizarre. It's carrying on a tradition that went back with the last mayor, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, uh, and at the end of the Mayor Daley's uh, reign. Uh, and I don't understand it. I, I think it's gotten past there's no logic to it um other than one personal personalities just an inability to just let things go which uh, maybe they need some kind of uh, mediator a, 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 a you know a dispute mediator please don't bring that judge in uh from a columbus statue uh who throws the punch even though he's a professional mediator so i i i don't understand this and See, here's the thing about what CTU did with their uh, cartoon. They diverted. Yeah, CTU has been championing all these important issues. Stacey Davis Gates comes on the show and talks about all the important issues and how there should be more money for teachers and there should be more money for nurses and social workers and counselors, et cetera, and so forth. We should have lower class sizes. We shouldn't have closed all these schools. There is uh, inequity in how we spend money. CTU uh, is, is leading the charge on these important issues. But then when you put this cartoon up, you know, it just diverts from that message and it makes it seem like they're somehow mean and nasty and picking on uh, Lori Lightfoot. And uh, so it just expends energy that doesn't need to be spent. And, you know, pfft, Lori Lightfoot, people milk this baby for all they could, right? Let's, you know what I'm saying, D? So, uh, so yeah, there we go. Let's keep this fight going between the mayor of the city of Chicago and perhaps arguably the most important union we have uh, in the city right now in terms of being a champion of progressive issues so, or one of the most important uh, unions in town. So, yeah, it's a, I, do, I do not understand the dynamics. I know Mayor Rahm had his reasons for doing this, political reasons. He wanted to prove that he was Mr. Tough Guy with the teachers' union. He was coming out of that mindset of their like 10 years ago when Democrats thought that the way to hold on to power in this country is to beat up their biggest supporters, uh, in this case, Teachers Union. Mayor Rahm bought into that. Arnie Duncan bought into that. Uh, Barack Obama bought into that. And I guess Lori Lightfoot still is drinking a little of that Kool-Aid. So that's really re uh, regretful that she uh, has to con continue this antagonism. But you didn't help the cause with this stupid tweet. And in general, don't get me started about retweeting tweets. So silly, but you know, after I said well, all that, I said it was a retweet yesterday, but I believe they may have posted it. It's looking like because you know they kind of came out and said that they posted it. So it's a, I thought it was a retweet. I was kind of assuming it was a retweet. I think it was a retweet. Oh well, let's hope it was. Yeah, a retweet. it was a retweet. But the point is, it's like it just. After I said I went on that, you know, that whole thing about Twitter yesterday, some people, Ben, you don't realize how important Twitter is to the movement. Ben, you don't realize how this is how people communicate. Ben, you're old, which is, yeah, you're right. Uh, and, yeah, you know, I probably should be on Twitter, but I just can't stand it. And Facebook is even worse. Um, 
Find us on Facebook and Twitter <laughs> at Benny J Show. B E N N Y, the letter J Show. Oh, by the way, I did get a great Facebook. Uh, am I allowed to read that yet, or are we still? We didn't do any pre show plans. Please okay. stop admitting that. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll do it at the end. We'll uh, do that at the end. Right, Our Babs, good friend Babbers yeah. weighed in. Great. I got to give him credit. It took me a while to get to it. As you know, you can tell Babs, I'm not the fastest Facebook. Really follow my feed that much, but uh, good stuff, man. Let me try and steer this man. ship a little in here. <laughs> okay, right. so here we are again. Another rift between our Chicago mayor and the Chicago Teachers Union. Illinois Politico goes on here and says, this back and forth between Chicago's black mayor and the teachers union isn't just about race, nor is it about the mayoral election. Exactly. After all, the CTU wasn't the only union to support Preckwinkle in that race. But where other unions pivoted after the election and made a choice to work with the new mayor, CTU, now, once again, not Dennis, I did not write this, CTU dug in its heels and seems to have adopted a shoot-from-the-hip communication strategy that, in this case, misreads the moment. And then Politico and Chiacapos goes on to wonder, irony? After a wild school year that included an 11-day strike, it's ironic that this Twitter uh, fiasco would happen on the last day of school. That's ironic. Listen, I disagree with her interpretation. We talked about this yesterday. I completely did. It takes two to tango. And Lori Lightfoot has made no attempt whatsoever that I can see to uh, extend the the olive branch to the Chicago Teachers Union. They wouldn't let Stacey Davis Gates into that press conference at the end. Uh, there's this war of words that's been going on. That teacher strike was completely unnecessary. The, the issue that the Lori Lightfoot, the Board of Education forced the strike on had to do with hiring more nurses, putting it into a contract to hire more nurses. The theme that Lori Lightfoot and her supporters put out to the Chicago Teachers Union was shut up and take the money. That was the theme that they put out there. We talked about this a lot. So just to avoid the responsibility that Lori Lightfoot has in continuing uh, this feud is to, is to put too much of the blame on the Chicago Teachers Union. It's, and this is, the, this is sort of like, I've got to give Lori Lightfoot's uh, political strategist credit on this one. They have put this message out, and it has been swallowed whole by much of the media. And I would deal with this. People, Ben, they always say, Ben, you got, you know, you got to admit that uh, your girl Stacey Davis Gates is just doing this strike because you know she's mad that she lost uh, the election. Ben, you got to admit, you know, I always say my girl Stacey Davis Gates because she comes on the show all the time. You know, your girl Stacey Davis Gates, blah 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 blah. Be sure I'm, to download our interview with Stacey Davis Gates <laughs> tomorrow, both Chicago Sun Times and Chicago Reader websites. You know, and but well, what about the principle of putting in a contract guarantees that you're going to hire nurses? that the schools need. We've been underfunding our public schools in the city of Chicago for years. We've been closing schools. It's all part of a larger initiative that if I were really paranoid, I would say it was about moving black people out of Chicago. But I shouldn't be paranoid, D, okay? And, and so the Chicago Teachers Union, beginning with Karen Lewis, who is one of my heroes, everybody knows. Oh my God, they used to call your girl, Karen Lewis. How many times did I hear that one back in the day? And uh, it began with Karen Lewis, and Stacey Davis Gates is continuing it. Uh, and they're fighting for more money being spent on public schools. And so that is somehow or other turned into a power play, a political power play. It's like, well, wait, people, put aside the personalities. Put aside maybe you don't like Stacey Davis Gates, or you like Lori Lightfoot more, or you're friendlier with uh, Lori Lightfoot's team. Just put aside the personalities. 
do you agree in the principle that we should fund school? Well, Ben, you know, <laughs> you don't have to put it in the contract. You could just, you know, the mayor will promise. Why should we believe the mayor? mayor's promise? Mayors are breaking promises in the city of Chicago for as long as I can remember. So it's, you know, this notion that somehow or other, the Chicago Teachers Union is the only person instigating this fight. It's sort of like looking at what happened last week, one of our favorite scenes, D, when Raylo, Alderman Raymond Lopez of the 15th Ward, and Mayor Lori Lightfoot went at it at that meeting that was illegal, by the way. I uh, want an answer. <laughs> it's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit, is what I think. If you think... We No, that was just inappropriate, okay? But it's just like looking at that and go, oh, it's all Raylo's fault. Or it's all Lori Lightfoot's fault. Again, there's two parties here. I don't know why there couldn't be someone who could like bring them together. Uh, at least to lower the rhetoric a little bit. But no, they've been going at it for over a year and a half. And maybe it will culminate in a mayoral election, a showdown in... Uh, 2020, good God. I gotta, hey, folks, let's just concentrate on 2020, all right? <laughs> 2023. One election at a time, all right? All right, let's, let's all figure out if we're going to ride the bus again, you know what I mean, after all this pandemic stuff. No, but th- this thing, well, that union, they can't stand Lori Lightfoot. So I don't understand this. All the other unions are nice unions. They get along with Lori Lightfoot. Why can't the teachers get along with Lori Lightfoot? Ah, come on, I don't buy into that. All right, everybody, so that's uh, the news there. Let's go to the live stream chat here. Kyle, always appreciate your comments, Kyle. Kyle weighed in on the live stream chat. By the way, if you're listening live, you could do the same. Go into the live stream chat. Let us know what you're thinking. Kyle says, why do I have a fear that Chicago politics is going to get bogged down in this dumb CTU Scooby-Doo tweet instead of meaningfully addressing COVID-19 job loss and the Black Lives Matter protests and cops budget? I, I'm with you 100%. We're going to get past this. But it, uh, it was a, I'm hoping that this was just a one-time shot. I think the teachers union was... A, put it this way, blundered when they put this out uh, and Lori Lightfoot counterpunched. That's politics. That's how you do it. It puts the teachers union on the defensive and they were eventually forced to take it down. They finally took it down. They, I, they probably recognize it was foolish to put it up. In general, these tweets are foolish. But uh, the reason we're having this feud right now because there's an ongoing gotcha a feud between the Chicago Teachers Union and Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and each side is always trying to have the better of the other uh, in public opinion. And uh, this was a, the Teachers Union were trying to mock Lori Lightfoot with the, this tweet. Uh, Lori Lightfoot countered by saying, putting them on the defensive, saying they're racist and they're like Trump. Uh, and there was all this condemnation and they had to back off. So I'm with you. I'm hoping, okay, can we just... Maybe they should go to some kind of mediator or something, you know. Maybe they should just go have lunch somewhere. Lori Lightfoot and Stacey Davis Gates. I've urged this so many times. But I, 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 when I, my belief is that Lori Lightfoot does not want uh, to make peace with the Chicago Teachers Union. That uh, to a certain degree she has figured out that, you know, it may be good to have the teachers union as a quote unquote opponent because it makes her more, more, look like more of a centrist. This is classic Chicago mayoral behavior. You don't want to be too liberal. You don't want to be too progressive. You don't want to be too much like the guy in the attic overlooking the alley. In the porta potty. In the porta potty. So you have to, 
You make you fight with the teachers union, and that makes you uh, look more like a centrist. All right, and shout out to Jay Marie. Uh, she must have missed yesterday's show. She says, "How does Ben not know what Scooby Doo is?" <laughs> Jay Marie, like, oh my god, I didn't know Jay Marie. Not only the show, but then he goes, "Yeah, there was like a dog, right?" <laughs> You're kidding. Jay Marie, yesterday he thought it was an ice cream. He said, what is that? Scooby-Doo, what's that, an ice cream? All right, Jay Marie. Thinking well, Scoopy, Scoop, yeah. Scooby-Doo? I don't know. D- Dennis came in uh, to my house, Jay Marie, yesterday, so you didn't hear the show. De- Dennis came into my show. Oh, yeah, we're going to. We actually did pre-show planning yesterday, Jay Marie. Give us some love, man. He goes, all right, here's, what, here's our news. <laughs> Here's our news. We're going to do about the, the fight between the teachers union and the mayor, Lori Lightfoot, over that uh, Scooby-Doo tweet. I go, what's Scooby-Doo? And he was like, you, Jay Marie, if you could have seen his face, it was freaking priceless. He's like, the utter, you're kidding, right? Disbelief. Utter, yeah, you're kidding. Right? I think he was going to call all his friends at Alton. This guy is so dumb. <laughs> then he started like, I can't believe you don't know what Scooby-Doo is. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, Felt and, and the live stream is in agreement here with me. <laughs> the most 70s show on the planet. Okay, never... I wasn't watching cartoons in the 70s. I was watching the Bulls. I, t- I explained this yesterday. But they had an adult theme. You know, they had Batman and Robin on and the Harlem Globetrotters. You know, that was cool. I, I watched the Harlem Globetrotters and yeah. Batman and Robin. I never saw them on Scooby-Doo or <laughs> even though it existed. I thought it was an ice cream. Good uh, time. And, and I'll tell you what. And then when Dennis showed me the cartoon, I didn't know. None- I go, what? what's going on? He had to explain the whole thing. And to then me. he said, who's that dog? <laughs> I said, geez, Louise, when is the weekend start? Oh. All right. And, uh, <laughs> Jay Marie, sorry about that. Uh, let's see. And uh, what's his name here? Jim. Jim had a good comment. Let me find it here. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, does this remind anybody of the Chicago Reader uh, incident where they had an editor for about a week? I don't know if you want to mention that or not. Oh God! Oh, oh! I had for completely forgotten that. Yeah. Uh oh my God! Oh God! I let's I uh, that's just a bad memory. He was a, it was more than a week. I want to say it was two weeks. I didn't get along with that guy. Let's just uh, you know I'm moving on. I've moved on with my life. Uh, that guy was just. So you don't want to talk about WCPT eight twenty either. Uh. I'm just joking. All right. Great moments in my life. This editor that I did not get along with at all. All right. And the station that fired me for being too right. liberal. I'm feeling bad now. Okay. We're going to take a break. Everybody. Wait, wait. Babs, oh, yeah. Come on, man. All right. All right. Uh, and uh, so let's give Babs a shout out. Uh, he uh, is posting. He posts stuff on Facebook a lot. He's one of the, like, when I think about Facebook, I'm really having issues with Facebook, particularly since Donald Trump. Facebook is such wimps. They won't police Donald Trump. And he put the inverted triangle on. This is a whole other story. I don't know if people know about this one. Inverted triangle. It's a Nazi symbol. Man, what is with the MAGA hat people and the Nazi symbols? You know, I get Jim Durkin was the only state rep in Illinois, the only Republican, I should say, who took a stand against protesters with their nets. You guys, it's really seriously offensive. You know, but no, 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 they're staying. You know, at least the teachers union backed off, and their tweet was nowhere near as bad as uh, this offensive. It's the inverted triangle, which is the sign that uh, the Nazis put on political prisoners when they rounded them up and put them in concentration camps, communists, socialists, anybody they disagreed with. And uh, so Donald Trump put this on a, um, a Facebook message. I think Facebook finally, I don't know what they did it censored i don't know i don't know if they took it down or put one of their disclaimers on i can't remember but it's really offensive so i just kind of threw with facebook can't stand it but 
Babs is the one thing decent about Facebook. He's a listener to the show. He posts stuff on my wall. And it takes me a while to get to it. At Benny J Show. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook. So he's responding to the comments we made about the Columbus statue uh, in, uh, in the fight with the uh, judge. What was it? Bertucci took the swing at the protester. We talked about that. It was on that Tuesday or when? I can't remember. Uh, and here's what he wrote. Ben, you're 100%. <laughs> okay. Here comes the old guy, Joe, coming my way. I have to put the percentage sign on for you, Ben, because you don't know it's an abbreviation. Uh You're 100% correct about Columbus Day, and this is coming from a proud Italian. Back in 2018, I lobbied Alderman Rosa and Poir to leave a date for Italian Heritage Day. In San Francisco, they renamed Columbus Day and moved the Italian Heritage Parade from Monday to Sunday, or simply rename it after our finest Italian-American, Mother Cabrini. Despite the fact that Cabrini Green is gone, her deep roots in Chicago, remain. There's Cabrini Street in Little Italy, Cabrini Shrine in Lincoln Park, Cabrini Green Legal Aid, a Cabrini nonprofit organization, and a hospital or two. The point is, Chicago loves Mother Cabrini. I warned Carlos and Amea that the way they were going about it was to create a shitstorm and Italian judges were going to start punching out protesters. But Carlos went full University of Illinois, dumped the chief on Columbus Day, and here we are. Well put. Uh, now then, Ben, you're also 100% disingenuous. I have a bone to pick with you with respect to prefacing your comments with, I am not Italian, but why do these people get so upset? Yeah, man, I'm sure you'd be saying the same thing about the Irish if Carlos had instead said, I have a great idea. Let's curb alcoholic brawls and urinating in broad daylight by renaming St. Patty's Day Ind- Ind- Indigenous People's Day. Uh, to that Surely you'd agree. I know Irish people. I have many Irish friends and they won't care. But those Italians, hey, what about Pulaski Day or the Bud Billiken Parade? The Poles or the African-Americans wouldn't care either. But what's up with the Italians? Those people get so bent out of shape. I give your I don't get it because I'm not Italian preface two thumbs down. Uh, finally, I told the alderman that rather than pretending they're heroic, they're actually pandering cowards. Dang, Babs. <laughs> said it to the alderman? Wow. Uh, I, and I was worried about taking a stand against the editorial. Bow wow. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's true. While all of white America is celebrating the wondrous myth of Thanksgiving, Native American people are celebrating Indigenous People's Day. And no one knows that because no one really cares about Indigenous people. It's all about me and scoring political points. I heard from both. Amaya said some bullshit, and I think Carlos whispered a footnote somewhere. Yeah, having said all that, in the great United States of America, black lives don't matter. So, uh, you know, Babs, some good points there. Uh, I'm not quite sure what I did wrong, but, uh, you know, when I said that I'm not Italian, I was just pointing out that I've had a conversation with uh, many Italian Americans on this subject, and the first thing they say to me is, "You wouldn't understand because you're not Italian." So it's a counterpunch. So I'm so used to that counterpunch that I immediately put up at the fact, "Yes, I'm not Italian, but I still get to weigh in on the matter, don't I? Just to give my opinions on it." And uh, I'm with you that uh, I I'd much rather. I almost had tears in my eyes when I read about uh, Mother Cabrini and uh, calling it Mother Cabrini Day or something, and that would be a great thing. Uh, I'm a radical, uh, so there was, a, there was some Italian uh, congressman, Vito Marcantolio, from the 40s, who um, I can name a day for, but I'm too, I know that's too left uh, for politics. So what can I tell you? Uh, it's 
there is a very strong constituency in this town. I don't know how, um, how many people are in it, but it's a very strong voice. And uh, they are going to resist any attempt to rename Columbus Day. Lori Lightfoot has already said she's not going to do it. She's backed off on that one. Um, she's apparently angrier at the CTU and Scooby-Doo uh, than she is at Columbus Day. This so. little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Anyway, uh, that's why I said what I said, and Babs, great comments. All right, and we got one more uh, comment that we're going to read here. Uh, turns out um, that reader comment was from the one and only Michael Girardi. <laughs> what up, Michael? Making back memories, Michael. Well, wait, Jim's going to take you back here as well. I found Jim's comment. He says, does anyone remember the controversial painting of Mayor Harold Washington way back in the day? That was pre-Twitter days, of course. Oh, yeah, definitely remember. Oh, my God, do I remember that. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name who did it, but it had uh, Harold Washington, uh, the uh, Mayor Harold Washington, for, you know, everybody in the Ben Drosky shows who Harold Washington is, uh, in uh, like women's lingerie it was part of an art exhibit of student art at the art institute and uh, this is after harold had died uh, and when word broke that this painting was on the wall uh, several black aldermen went to the artist i think they took it down uh, i can't remember which aldermen were the ones who uh, did that but it was a, uh, a huge upset and a lot of protest uh, and it just showed Oh, my God, the gulf between blacks and whites in the city of Chicago, because I had so many conversations back in that day. I was old enough. D, I was already older than you back when that happened. Isn't that something? I had so many conversations. Like, why do you have a conversation with a white person? And they go, I don't understand why black people are so upset about that. There's free expression, and uh, they should be believe in free expression. And then you, uh, I'd have a conversation with a black person. and go, I can't believe somebody would be so insensitive uh, to... Uh, desecrate the mayor he, he had died within a year so it was very provocative to put it mildly a painting uh, that god upsets me just giving this history that just deepened the the rift the divide between black and whites communities chicago and made it that much easier for richard m daly to get elected uh, in 1989 and that much harder for uh, Eugene Sawyer who's the incumbent mayor we should have Monroe Anderson will come on and talk about it. he was the press secretary when that went down Jim uh, and uh, so what was the result uh, Daly was the mayor for 21 years in part because we had this huge racial rift that pretty much through the 90s uh, and didn't really start closing still not completely closed as we know uh, until about 04 when Barack Obama was elected senator. All right. Thank you very much for weighing in on there, Jim. Uh, Michael as well. Feel free to weigh in on the live stream chat if you're listening live. And remember to download this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. We're going to take a short little break here. And when we come back, it's the Ramana Rundown with our dear friend, Ramana Hussain of the Chicago Sun-Times. Don't go anywhere, people. Michael Girardi is going to be, uh, let's do a little tax increment financing from Michael Girardi. Hey, dude, you playing live sometime soon? Do a, a Zoom performance, maybe. That'd be cool. This is Tax Increment Financing from Michael Girardi. We'll be right back. That's correct. I just biked around Lake Michigan. 
nearly a thousand miles. Friday. All right. We are the the ones that fall in line. Yep. He likes tax increment financing. Well, the song, not the program. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's a good point. All right, we're calling Ramana Hussein here. Ben's favorite part of the day. Oh, yeah, come on. I love this part of the day. Let's see if the phone call works. Smooth sailing operation here on the Ben Jarofsky Show, just like WBEZ. Go. All right. All right, Ramana Hussein. Hi, how are you guys? We're safe and sound, and the air conditioning is working, so at the moment, we're not really hot. How are you doing? 
I'm good. How are you? All right. Now we're ready to rock and roll. Got a whole bunch of things I want to talk to you about. Columbus Day, uh, Hassan Minaj, uh, Spike uh, Lee's Defy Bloods. We're going to get your recommendation or your review of it. Uh, and But let's start with DACA. Uh, and um, I haven't really talked about it a lot on the show. The ruling came down yesterday, 5-4 to four Supreme Court a ruling, very narrow ruling, uh, Ramana. The, the, uh, you have your Democratic judges and your Republican judges, and uh, John Roberts went with the Democrats. The um, Chief Justice went with the Democrats. Essentially, my humble opinion, he wanted to take the matter off the table for the November election, which he effectively did uh, by saying that uh, Donald Trump overstepped his bounds uh, with his executive order, but it leaves open the possibility, of course, that if Donald Trump proceeds differently with the way he goes about uh, stripping DACA rights uh, from people, that he can get away with it. Uh, is that your read of things as well? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, to tell you the truth, I just read it and I just saw it as a victory for um, people who are protected under, you know, DACA. So that's how I saw it. Um, you know, people, that's how most people were framing it. So I just thought, you know, I was reading uh, Marlon Garcia's uh, article today. And I don't know if you saw her column and she talked about it a little bit. And um, she, I, I liked how she framed her column, just basically saying if we needed another reason to get rid of Donald Trump. But, um, you know, it seemed like it was a step. I, I think for more, most people who support TASA, I think it seemed like more of a step in the right direction from what most people saw. Yeah. Well, it's definitely, a I guess a lot of people, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I guess a lot of people I know were saying, Oh, look, there's some good news here <laughs> from people. I know they were saying, no. yeah, no, I, I don't mean to. Yeah. I don't mean to be the bearer of the bad news. Uh, yeah. Sorry. So you're right. I, so let me rephrase. Yeah. I'm really happy that John Roberts uh, went with the Democrats uh, on, on the Supremes in this one as well. Uh, I, I've always thought it would, uh, Donald Trump did was very cruel uh, with that executive order uh, obliterate. And, and I, the dysfunction of Congress and its inability to pass protection on their own uh, is really disturbing. Uh, so it's beyond Donald Trump. It's the entire Republican Party. Uh, but uh, maybe this will, um, uh, a new day, politically speaking, with uh, Donald Trump gone. Uh, talk about a little bit, uh, Romana, uh, just the whole process of assimilation into the larger American culture. And, uh, you know, the, the um, I, 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 I thought it was Donald Trump's ability to sort of like, um, how do I turn it, turn this into a wedge issue was remarkable because I never saw, I, I don't know, I, like the people who were affected, the DACA uh, party, I mean DACA party, the, dark, the people who would be sent back uh, to Mexico or whatever country they came for, I never saw them as a threat. And Donald Trump has effectively used that uh, as a way to divide America. In your opinion, why has that been so successful for him? Well, I think for a lot of people, I mean, it's just this anti-immigrant sentiment that they are not Americans. It's part of the whole, you know, we've been discussing, you know, people have been talking about white supremacy. And I think that's what a lot of people, when they hear someone say, make America great again, they hear make America white again. So there's this rhetoric that's out there that's basically, you know, out there that's kind of saying that these people are not real Americans only the white people are, you know, it, that 
I, I think that's the kind of sentiment that's been brewing for the last couple of years. You know, they're taking our jobs, you know. I know a lot of people talked about, um, I think a lot of people talked about um, how, you know, during Trump's election is that a lot of white working class people feel disenfranchised and they feel like all these immigrants are taking their jobs. And, you know, there was also this discussion is like, well, a lot of these immigrants are doing jobs that you wouldn't have done anyway. So a lot of their factory jobs also became obsolete. So I think it's just this discussion just to pit people against one another or pit people who don't look like them. So it's been it's been pretty interesting. I, of course, like, you know, I probably spoke about this before, but my dad came to the United States as part of the brain drain of Asia in the um, late 60s. Um, so he was, my dad came from a pretty poor family. He was the only one who got educated. Um, my grandparents were illiterate. None of my um, uncles or aunts went to school. My dad was the only one who did. And he ended up becoming, um, you know, a physician and he was a top student in his school. So America recruited him. Now, you know, I think we've discussed this before because of the civil rights movement, there was this, um, a lot of immigrants, including my dad, were able to come to this country and make a life for themselves. So my dad was recruited um, by the United States to work as a doctor. And so my family had, um, you know, I look at myself and I definitely see myself as one of the more privileged children of immigrants. My parents came here, you know, they struggled, but in a different way. Um, my life was upper middle class. We lived in the city. We lived in, my parents lived in, when I was born, I was born in Lakeview, right by my dad's hospital, Illinois Masonic, was where he was doing his residency. We, we literally lived across the street. And then, you know, we ended up going to Rogers Park and then moved to the suburbs in Lincolnwood. But, um, I mean, I definitely grew up at a time, I was born in the 70s. I grew up at a time where, and I grew up in a mostly white community. It was a mostly Jewish community. So it was a little different than growing up in a fully I guess, waspy environment, but I was definitely um, made to feel different. I mean, I knew I was different. Um, you know, my cultural traditions, my religious traditions, um, nobody knew what a Muslim was at the time. Um, and then people thought that Muslims were the same thing as Iranians because the Iran, Iranian hostage crisis happened like in the late 70s. So there's just a lot of confusion about who we were. I remember being in kindergarten and people really didn't know what, who Indians were. So everybody thought I was Native American. So they would call me a red Indian. And so, um, you know, yeah. And so people didn't, you know, it wasn't hip to be Indian. I know it's very cool now to be Indian and do Indian things. But at the time, um, you know, <laughs> our parents would, one good thing that I look back, um, it was nice because I grew up in a city or near a city because even though all of us, there was very few of us here, um, we did, like my parents, we had, like, we'd go to Sunday school on Sundays, and that's where we'd hang out with our friends who looked like us and spoke like this. So, so like, our parents made us embrace our cult. Like, our parents would, like, you know, we get made fun of, but our parents are like, who cares? You know, they didn't really completely understand, like, what it felt like to be different because they came here as adults, and they would just hang out with each other. But, you know, and they'd go to work and they probably didn't, like, you know, get the jokes that, you know, my dad didn't get any of the jokes. He always tells, like, I don't get the jokes that, you know, my colleagues make and, you know, I don't golf like they do. But, you know, for us, it was like we were immersed in the culture, like, 24-7. So our experience was completely different. My mom even says now, and she goes, I can't believe what you guys probably went through at the time, being so different. Because, you know, it's hard for kids to look different now. But back then, it was like, you stood out. I mean, my mom would make me wear Indian clothes and, you know, people would make fun of us and we'd have henna on our hands, like, for our holidays and everybody would make fun of us. And, of course, like, flash forward, like, 30-something years later and, you know, 
girls are wearing it at Coachella. They're dressing like us at Coachella. So it's like, you know, it's definitely different and it's difficult. And you always don't, I think um, most people who are children of immigrants or and or people of color, they never feel like they completely belong. Like I can be, you know, I was raised in an American society. I understand it, but I don't feel like I completely belong here a hundred percent. And then when I go to India, um, I don't think I belong there either. So, you know, I can relate to it. I can relate to both parts of the, you know, culture. So I can imagine being um, an undocumented immigrant must be really, really um, difficult. Like I read, like, you know, a lot of people write essays about how they live their lives and have to stay quiet about their status and, you know, couldn't let people know what, you know, their status was. So I definitely didn't have that. I, I had, I had more like suburban you know, South Asian problems, like, you know, my parents, because they were immigrants, and my dad came from a poor family, like, most of his um, savings went to his relatives to help his relatives in India, so I wasn't dressing like a normal suburban kid, like, I only had one eye on, and I prized it, you know, it was very popular when I was a kid, and, you know, my mom didn't get why I needed an eye on, I'm like, everybody wears eyes on, like, my, my mom didn't buy me new clothes all the time, like, she, she's like, I can sew you something, and my mom is a really good sewer, she can sew really good Indian clothes, but one time she made me a baseball jersey, it didn't look like a baseball jersey, and she's like, I, I can make you it, so, you know, we kind of, we kind of grew up, like, you know, we grew up, like, lower middle class kids in upper middle class society, and even though we're totally comfortable, you know, we kind of stood out, because my parents had different priorities than the average person in, in, you know, my average peer at school. While you were dealing uh, with the issue of being, quote unquote, different than the kids at school, did you also get uh, teased, I guess is the right word, uh, it's the most euphemistic word I can come up with, uh, from uh, your parents that somehow or other uh, you were spoiled because you had more than they did? Oh, totally. <laughs> I, I mean, my parents... <laughs> I mean, well, even my husband, even my husband, if you, you know, tells me that I have very North Shore taste, and I do, and I'm like, well, I kind of grew up North Shore adjacent. I go, you know, I like nice things. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, I'm not like, you know, some granola person. So I definitely was influenced by where I grew up, but my parents definitely did. And, you know, um, my parents didn't spend that much money on clothes when we were younger. So a lot of what, a lot of my friends who are also South Asian immigrants, like they kind of grew up in the same situation or they had parents who were very wealthy but they were very modest they didn't like spend a lot of money on anything they were in you know they're very fiscally conservative in terms of saving so they didn't like spend you know they're very modest I have, I have family friends who are millionaires and you would never know because they're very modest they save money and just you know they just want to help their kids they want their kids to go to school that's like the number one thing but yeah my parents like then so when I started earning money I you know I'm really into shoes I'm into clothes I'm into fashion my mom's also in, into that stuff too, but she even says that we spend way too much money. And my dad would um, look at how many shoes me and my younger sister would have, and he would say, "You know what? I I didn't even have shoes. So to hear how much you spend on one pair of shoes, it's it's just insane." And when I, I went to India, when I had braces on, uh, this is like 1983, and I remember like you know my dad was from a village, like a really poor village, and so he would take us to the village and. I had braces, so it definitely stuck out like a sore thumb. I couldn't smile because then half of the villagers come running to look at me. And I remember my dad told everybody how much my braces cost. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and, then he's like, and then he's like, you know how much land you could buy with that? And I told them all the stuff they could buy with money that, you know, to fix my, fix my overbite. So, oh my so God. yeah, we can make money. 
<laughs> so we can make fun of all the time. But the yeah. funny thing is my parents my parents would go to India and say, Oh look, our kids are so spoiled. They can't be like your good kids but then like flash forward, like we ended up being the less spoiled kids than my Indian relatives. So it's kinda of funny. We're I'm spoiled. I'm not gonna say I'm not, but I definitely know what it's like to feel different and to be different and in the 70s, like growing up in a northern suburb is kind of, you know, it's similar. I mean, we have a more, we have a society that's now more aware of being diverse, but I think kids who are different still feel different. But at that time, it was just like, you know, there's nobody Indian on TV. We watched The Bionic Woman and, you know, Bigfoot and like every other kid, <laughs> Charlie's Angels. Yeah. But we didn't, we know, we, we saw very few people of color on TV or that represented us. So, um, I know, like me and my friends who did grow up in Generation Xers, we do have a different experience. And uh, we, we, think, we just laugh when we, you know, see how it's cool to be Indian now and do Indian things. We basically got made fun of for doing things that people are doing now that are the tip. So it's very funny and amusing, I guess. No, yeah, it is funny. Uh, uh, I, you, you, you refrain from throwing Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, name out there uh, on that uh, huh? Uh, a riff. There's a, there's a lot of Gwyneth Paltrow's out there, so uh, her name will come up. Uh, all right, so since we're talking about identity, uh, and we might as well get to uh, Hassan Minaj's uh, opening bit from Patriot Act. I think it was a week ago. I forget when he did it. It was very powerful. It was probably two weeks ago. Two weeks ago? Okay. I saw it about, I, I've lost track of time, uh, Romana. You're not Indian. All the Indians, all the South Asians are passing it around. Within, so. like, days, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I uh, saw it... Um, a DL Hewley put it on his Instagram. That's how I saw it. And he was like a shout out to this guy. Uh, and it was, talk about it. It was uh, an eye opening. It was a very powerful statement uh, regarding the, it was sort of like a throwing down to uh, quote unquote people of color uh, to appreciate yeah. the differences between quote unquote people of color and black people and how they've been treated in this country. Uh, and it was an de urgent demand uh, that uh, people join the Black Lives Matter movement. Very moving, I thought. Uh, talk about it a little more. Yeah, um, you know, I talked a little bit about how my father came in the United States. One of the things, at least to older immigrants, South Asian immigrants, um, we always keep in mind, we try to keep in mind, is that when we came here, we basically had a leg up over a lot of African Americans because, you know, we, uh, my father came here, he was educated he he was wanted here i mean wanted and is, is a very like i use that very lightly because we weren't treated like we were wanted but you know he was recruited here and what happened as a result of the first you know there's there's been asians here for a long time i mean hundreds of years ago so it's just that there was an influx of asians in the, in the late 60s because um if you watch any um there was this great documentary on pbs about asian americans and they've been here for a long you know chinese japanese have been here for a long time but you know, at the time when my parents came, as I mentioned, there were very few South Asians even in Chicago. But a lot of us had parents who were educated or one parent who was educated. So we kind of came into this situation where we're coming, going into neighborhoods where we're going to be privileged. And what happens, um, you know, African-Americans, on the other hand, came here as slaves. And they've always been treated you know, and they've been pitted against Asian Americans. You know, that's one of the things that a lot of Asian Americans are trying to pay attention to is because we were always called the model minority. You know, people would always say, well, look at those Indians. They can do it. So why can't you do it? But yeah, obviously it was 
easier for my father because he was a top student and these hospitals recruited him. Mm-hmm. So it's different when you already have that position up. Even though my dad was from a really poor family, he was he still had it easy in many ways compared to a lot of African Americans. So we were always pitted. We have always been pitted as like the minded the model minority. And people thought model minority was a compliment, but it's not a compliment. It actually creates this wedge against um, African, you know, African Americans and Asians. And that tension's kind of been there for a long time. Um, so Hassan Minaj kind of points out how, um, you know, Asian, you know, South Asians have always, um, you know, looked down on Black people, just like a lot of we accuse other communities of looking down on African Americans, but that it's prevalent also in the South Asian community. And I, I know, Ben, I talked to you off um, topic, but one of the things on Twitter, since you're not in the South Asian uh, community, um, a lot of South Asian celebrities in India, at least Bollywood actors, were tweeting about Black Lives Matters. And a lot of uh, South Asian activists shot back and said, do you know how many like white skin lightning creams ads you've done and always been in movies that talk about how it's better to be white? Colorism is a big problem in India because, you know, because of the, you know, the history of India, the colonization. And there's a group of people called the Aryans who came to India. So there's, there's definitely, you know, a color gradient system in India. If you're lighter skinned, you're considered good looking, no matter how ugly you are. <laughs> and, if you're darker, and if you're darker skinned, you're definitely, you know, considered, you know, ugly altogether. Like my, when me and my siblings used to go to India, my older sister slightly lighter than us. And she was born in India. They're like, how come the Americans, me and my two younger siblings, look more Indian than the one who's Indian. And I'm like, well, I used to be like, well, there's black people in America too. So you guys don't even know, you know, so it's like this mentality that thinks like only white people can be certain ways. So I think Hassan Minaj kind of points out to that. There's this word in Urdu and Hindi and Hassan Minaj speaks Urdu. That's uh, that's the language he learned growing up, the same language I did. And so he pointed out that, you know, the word Sala is used as derogatory. Like when you when you want to say some be negative to someone who's darker skin, you say Gala, and it's not said in a complimentary way. So he was telling Indians to, and South Asians, I should say, to look deep down into themselves and you know realize that we've been we have had advantages that the African American community has not had and just still does not have, and that we need to put you know our activism and we are very active. I mean. We have a, Hassan Minaj and I also have the extra, I mean, we're Muslim. And the first Muslims who came to the United States were slaves. So, you know, African-Americans have also told the Muslim community, you know, where there's a lot of South Asians is that, you know, we're not treated the same in these Muslim communities either. You know, people forget that, you know, it's not just an immigrant experience. Americans are also, you know, there's been a lot of African-Americans in this movement too, or in the community. So I thought it was, um, I, I think everybody that I know watched that video. A lot of Indian people shared it. I think it happened, I think it came out right after George, uh, the George Floyd protest. So every, I got like, I got it sent by at least two or three um, South Asian friends and everybody was asking each other, did you see that? It was really good. And people have been posting it. So it's definitely poignant, poignant. And I, I, you know, a lot of black people are saying that, you know, when we talk about our experience, it's not just people of color, it's black and you need to signify that. And I think that's definitely true because it is hard to be a person of color, but it's probably not as hard as it is to be an African-American. I mean, I'm just saying that from my point of view, um, I I think um, African-Americans have been treated a lot worse than, you know, South Asians have been. And, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not, you know, downplaying any sort of discrimination 
discrimination South Asians and or Muslims or South Asian Muslims face because they do or Arab Americans or Middle Eastern or Korean Japanese. But it's it's definitely different than the way African Americans are treated. Yeah. So I think I think everybody should watch that video. I actually I don't know when you didn't know who Hassan Minaj was. I recommended the show to you. So um, <laughs> when was that? You probably know. <laughs> Let's go back and find that one out. Probably was yeah, probably why uh, we've been we've been having these weekly conversations. Just want to point this out for a long time. Uh, so you you probably were uh, the first person uh, that told me about him. Uh, although I cannot remember that. Isn't that funny how my memory is selective in that regard? Yeah. Well, you know, you know, his Hassan uh, Minaj's Patriot Act was uh, actually um, a family friend of mine who grew up as a comedian. That was the name of his one man uh, one man show that he had. So he gave Hassan the. Um, Write the, the you know the name to the show. Some guy that we're you, all connected. Wait, time out. Someone yeah. you grew up with. Yeah, Some, we're all kind of connected. Who went he's to also, Niles he's West? Also friends with your. Uh, yeah, he's also friends with your boy Dave Chappelle. So, <laughs> you know, hang oh my God! Did you see Dave Chappelle's? I haven't even talked yeah, about that on I the show. Uh, my yeah, God. I think that is great. Yeah, that was something else, and it was uh, you know it was funny because. Dave Chappelle was unpopular for about a year with like the really hip crowd in this country. Because of the Me Too comments. Uh, no, that wasn't Dave Chappelle. I think it was trans comments. Um, but anyway, oh, yeah. yeah. If I think he, anyway, we're yeah. going off on a tangent. Yeah, we're on a tangent. Don't throw him under the bus anymore. Uh, I didn't. I'm not. I don't know. I always, uh, I kind of stayed loyal to him through all that. And um, but that that latest. Uh, I urge everybody to check it out. Uh, we haven't talked about it on the show. We haven't done the deep dive on it, but it was very powerful stuff. Dave Chappelle's, it's a 30, anybody can watch it. It's on YouTube. Um, so you don't even have to subscribe to Netflix or anything. All right. Uh, so let's get you to weigh in, get you in trouble here. Uh, talk about your opinions uh, <laughs> on Columbus Day. Uh, uh, we talked a lot about this earlier in the week when there was the, uh, the fight, or uh, a judge threw a punch at a protester outside Columbus's statue in Little Italy. Uh, I forget when we talked about it. I guess it was Tuesday. Uh, man, that judge lost his cool, threw a punch, a wicked punch, uh, and um, just just showed you how emotional this issue is, uh, whether we should rename that holiday, uh, have a different uh, Italian-American uh, that is uh, honored with Columbus. Well, Columbus wasn't even Italian-American. Have a different person honored with Columbus Day. So what's your general thoughts about all this, Romano? Um, isn't, it, isn't it Columbus Day now Indigenous People's Day in Chicago? I thought it was. Remember we talked about that? It could be. But I think the latest controversy has to do with the statues mm-hmm. of Columbus. Um, you know, we've seen uh, during the George Floyd protests a lot of um, Confederate and uh, I think um, statues of uh, Christopher Columbus and even overseas, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, colonists or colonizers. Their statues, even in Europe, are being torn down. People are breaking them. And it's, you know, we've never seen anything like it. But although that article that sometimes about the judge throwing the punch, it says that the Columbus Day statue, um, this one is in uh, Little Italy in Ariago Park, I think. I'm probably, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. But um, it what has been defaced almost every year. And I think, um, I think they, I think they spent like $4,500 on the latest damage. Cause uh, I think some protesters threw some balloons at it and the balloon had some paint in it. Um, personally, like Christopher Columbus, um, 
Indians always joke about how he couldn't even figure out or couldn't take directions like a typical male and ended up in the United States and he thought he was in India. But, uh, you know, we joke about that. But he was like, you know, me growing up, like I said, I was born in the 70s. He was definitely um, exalted when I was younger. So, you know, you think you you're, you're think of Christopher Columbus as being this great guy who founded, you know, founded America. And, and you know, so at that, for me, Christopher Columbus, personally, is probably not that big of a historical figure. I mean, he, I don't think we should stop learning about Christopher Columbus. The question is whether we need to honor him that that highly as we have. But I'm also not Italian-American. Um, so the passion is really strong, I feel, from Italian-Americans um, for Christopher Columbus. One of the arguments I've heard about um, taking the statues down or, you know, is that Italian-Americans have so many other heroes, you know, Cabrini, Mother Cabrini, and all these other, like, athletic heroes. They're like, why not put statues up of them or any other Italian-American who's done social work? And, you know, I'm not saying Italian-Americans don't have it hard. They probably did have it hard when they first came here. And, you know, a lot of Italian-Americans, uh, friends who I have who are Italian-Americans, they do talk about how you know, they get, they get tired of the mob stereotype and all these other stereotypes they have of Italian-Americans. So I understand the ethnic pride, but, like, personally, I don't know if, like, it's probably worth putting up a statue of Christopher Columbus if it's going to, you have to pay that much. Tax dollars have to go towards cleaning it up. But, you know, again, like I said, I'm not Italian-American, but watching that video was pretty interesting, I think. Um, well, I guess I have know, to tell you this, uh, that... I was chastised by one of my viewers. I said the same thing. I'm not Italian-American. Uh, and one of my listeners, uh, Babs, wrote in. I just read his comments uh, chastising me for saying uh, I'm not. He, saying, just take the stand. You don't have to say you're not Italian-American. Uh, and uh, so well, he chastised. I'm just like, but that's the argument that's come at me. I, that's my response is that when I've had this discussion, uh, Italian-Americans have said, you don't understand. You're not Italian-American. And so that's yeah. always like a conversation stopper. You follow me? Uh, well, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and honestly, like I'm trying to be sensitive and, and I'm not saying it's the same thing as being black, but I'm not Italian. So I don't know what sort of, you know, I don't know. He's not that big of a deal in my community, but he's, I didn't even know there was some connection to Italians and Christopher Columbus until I got older because I always thought he was Spanish because it was the Spaniards who, um, approved his trip, correct? Yeah, or that is correct. I mean, I've, I've to, yeah, and I've been to Spain, and there's like all these statues dedicated to him. So I used to always think that he was Spanish. And yeah. then when I got older, I was like, you know, there's Columbus Day parades, and I see all these Italian American flags, and I'd be kind of confused. I'm like, why are they waving Italian American flags? And then, then I realized, but no, I mean, I'm a person of color, so it's, you know, I'm going to say, you know, I understand. I definitely understand the anger towards like exalting certain figures because certain figures in our history haven't been perfect. And we have all been given whitewashed versions of them growing up. At least I did. I don't know how um, Christopher Columbus was taught in schools anymore, but when I was a kid, he was definitely someone that, you know, we're supposed to respect and honor. And I think you can still learn about Christopher Columbus. No, I, I disagree with erasing him from history. But I do think that um, it's important to acknowledge, you know, some of the other things that Christopher Columbus did, too, in terms of, you know, killing indigenous people. 
Well, by the way, this is a perfect transition uh, into uh, to five bloods. I just want to say that uh, we had a conversation yesterday, which we're dropping this weekend with uh, Sergio Mims uh, and Danielle Scruggs. One of these days, uh, Romano, we're going to bring you on for this is when we uh, we do our movie uh, show. So uh, get a couple of really smart people on talk about uh, five bloods. We've done it with other movies as well. And um, we went into a... Uh, uh, a whole tangent about uh, gone with the wind and, and uh, <laughs> I, I, you know what i have not seen that movie my parents for some reason would watch clips of it when it came on tv i uh, never saw it and uh my husband is told me that i need to watch it yeah <laughs> yeah okay. um uh, by the way, we haven't thrown Mick under the bus yet. Let's. Can, can we, <laughs> this is my favorite part well, of the. Well, uh, <laughs> can we throw him under the bus? It's Juneteenth today. Yes. Um, and <laughs> oh, yes. his office. Yeah. His office has the day off. Yeah. And so I was texting a friend. I'm like, Mick has the day off for Juneteenth, and the friend jokingly said, "Oh, appropriate that the white guy has it off and you have to work." So. He's out with a friend buying records right now um, and taking a socially distant walk. Yeah. So he's off, the white guy's off on June team, just letting you know. That's, that's, you said that to me before the show, and it made me laugh. You know, uh, Finally, uh, white America is uh, recognizing Juneteenth uh, as a holiday. And what's the result? Uh, Romana is working, and <laughs> Mick is out buying records. Uh, anyway, we are a strange country that we live in. Uh, but anyway, uh, it gets to the point about Christopher Columbus is why I thought of Gone with the Wind, because the point that Sergio and Danielle were making in the conversation, uh, especially Sergio, is that uh, it should be, it should not be uh, a banned or obliterated or just erased, but that we should watch it and there should be discussion about it and an analysis of it and an explanation and annotation of it. Uh, and it's all about coming to terms with her past. Uh, I just was up late last night, couldn't sleep. I was reading an article about Flannery O'Connor, the great novelist uh, from the South who uh, died in 1965, highly regarded short story writer. Turns out, I didn't know this until I read this article, uh, she was a racist. She's a racist. Yeah, absolute mm -hmm. racist. That she kept this concealed from her stories, by and large, uh, but it was all in the letters that, have become, that emerged about her. So there's so much about our past that explains who we are and where we are right now, Romana, that gets buried. And I just think yeah. it's, as it's important not to just bury it, pretend it didn't exist, but try to understand it and explain it. You agree with me on that? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, I took a film class in college, and we watched Birth of a Nation in class. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know if you ever watched Birth of a Nation, but it is um, honored a lot of times, not because of the actual content of the movie, but because of the film um, styles that they use and the camera styles that they use. It was historical, actually, because of the way they shot the movie. Um, do you know, Birth in the Nation is basically um, a glorifying the Ku Klux yeah. Klan, and it's 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 terrible. It's I, like terrible. The content's terrible. But we did watch it, and it does kind of give you an idea um, about what Americans or what the general American public thinks about race issues and African Americans. One of the things I should also point out to you: Did you know what the most popular Netflix movie was in the last few um, weeks? Now that white people know that racism exists, what? The help. Oh. And I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the help. And it's, 
Yeah, and uh, I was telling my husband the other day, I go, see, white people only like movies where they're the white savior, and that's the problem. And and it's like, the movie is basically about this young woman, Emma Stone, and she wants, you know, she's very different from her socialite friends, and she wants to uncover or write about, you know, what it's like to be black or be a black maid. So it's, 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 it's just interesting that this is what, you know, even today, this is what, the general public in the United States wants to watch when they want to talk about race relations yeah. where it's so it's interesting, but I definitely think that you should watch these movies just to get a context. Um, I, you know, cause I was, uh, I was interested in film when I was in, uh, in Northwestern for journalism, I took arts reporting and me and uh, a friend did a whole piece on how people of color are treated in the media. And that, that was how I opened up, um, my presentation talking about how um, Birth of a Nation is considered this historical film, but this is how Black people are depicted in it. And then we just talked about how um, through the years, people of color have never been played by people of color. And when they do play them, like Lawrence of Arabia, it turns out that he's like actually a white man who's like abandoned. Like there's always this like, oh, well, actually the white guy, you know, we thought he was like an Arab guy. So it's, it's and I, I did like, um, now we can go back to talking about Spike Lee. I did like the movie. I don't think it was Spike Lee's best work, but I don't know how you felt about it. Well, I've seen. Um, I, I, I know, go ahead, finish your thought. Yeah, go ahead. No, um, I was. Well, gonna... one of the things. <laughs> sorry, one of the things I, I I wanted them to explain is the you know one of the characters is wearing that Trump hat, and they kind of touch upon it. But I kind of didn't buy that you'd be a Trump supporter. That's my opinion. All right. Now, let me just say this. I urge absolutely everyone to download and listen to the conversation Sergio and Danielle and I had. We spent about 10 minutes on that hat. That was a favorite topic. Oh. Uh, and I, I don't want to give too much of it away. I actually, uh, I there's chunks of that movie that I have no interest in ever watching again the, the the battle scenes so i've seen it twice the second time i saw it, i just fast forwarded through them so i took a two and a half hour movie and got it down to about 90 minutes or so uh but there's some really powerful scenes and the, the um the use of the trump hat i thought was very effective uh, one of the characters in the movie is a trump supporter i don't want to give it away here uh, we give it everything away in the discussion, so we have that disclaimer up top. There's all spoilers in there, but one of this, the 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 characters is a Trump supporter, and it gets into the whole um, sort of the notion of what it does it mean for a black man in America in 2020 to be a Trump supporter. So I um, will probably I'm going to wait a little while before we have this conversation, Romana, to get people a chance to see the movie. But you give it, okay. you you urge people to see the movie, correct? I don't know. The last couple of years, I haven't liked a lot of Spike Lee movies, but I mean, I still remember when Do the Right Thing came out. And um, interestingly enough, um, one of your major, one of your guests, a regular guest, Tamina Mustafa, we were at the Howard Street <laughs> L stop and she was telling me I needed to watch it. She's like, hurry up, watch. You need to watch um, Do the Right Thing. And I do like his movies in general, and I do have like issues with them sometimes. I was explaining to my husband, Nick, that he doesn't write female characters that great. And that's one of the reasons I like Crooklyn. That's one of my favorite films. And I said a lot of the, one of my favorite Spike Lee films, and a lot of guys tend to not like it. And I'm like, you guys don't like it because it centers on a girl. And, and I, I think usually Spike Lee's uh, women are very flat. They're usually just girlfriends or wives. Yeah, that's... And don't really, he doesn't flesh out the characters. And Nick's like, well, what about 
what about You've Got to Have It? I never thought You've Got to Have It, but then I told him, I'm like, I read about the fact that there's a rape scene and they kind of gloss over it like it's a normal thing. So I told him, I'm like, he doesn't really get women, but that's me. Sorry if I'm opening. Um, no, uh, we discussed that too as well. Uh, Daniel Scruggs has a lot of interesting things to say about it. But Crooklyn is, my humble opinion, his second greatest movie. It's a, I love it. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And uh, I urge everyone to watch Crooklyn. The soundtrack alone just brings oh, back so many it, memories for me. Uh, so Crooklyn, uh, it's one of my favorite and movies. And I thought, yeah, and I thought, um, how do you pronounce his name? Delroy Lindo? Is that yes. his name? Mm-hmm. He was in and Crooklyn. So he, he was played, the father. Yeah, he was the dad, the, the musician dad. And if, if, if the life, and the one thing I really liked about it is like, it's based on Spike Lee's own life, mm-hmm. I believe, or his child, part of his childhood. And, you know, there's definitely one character that I thought was probably Spike Lee, the, the kid who really liked the Knicks. So um, yes. I just thought that was a great movie. So I do, I mean, I, you know, Spike Lee's um, movies get good reviews. I tend to watch them. I haven't watched them all. Um, Mick always tells me, oh, you don't watch. He got game. And I'm like, no, sorry. <laughs> Maybe because it was about basketball. And I was like, I don't know if I want to. Uh, wait. Uh, uh, the um, Spike Lee movie about basketball was called, what was it called again? I just blanked on it. Uh, what is it, D? Hoop Dreams? No, no, no. That's the documentary. Anyway, it'll come to me in a little while. I just blanked on it. He uh, got game. Yeah, uh, yeah the um, uh, yeah, that's with uh, uh, Wesley Snipes. Boy, man, talk about an a old age moment there. I just blanked on that name. All right, uh, Romana, uh, we're going to let you go. And uh, thank you very much, as always. Uh, stay safe. We'll talk to you next week, all right? She left already. Yeah, I thought uh, I saw that phone was wavering and go. about to fall and uh we, oh we're getting a comeback on, back. on the ben Jarofsky show romana all right i think we lost her for good this time uh anyway we're uh, out of time for the show we got to get ready to do our uh our next interview uh close down today's show any updates steve before uh we we yeah. head off i got one here's romana oh romana she brought he brought it back <laughs> romana i was just saying goodbye stay safe yeah i I'm sorry I got cut off. I don't know what the call just ended, but... I don't know. It's because I had that brain freeze and could not remember uh, the uh, Spike Lee basketball movie. Uh, and uh, anyway, have a great weekend. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next week. You all right. Too. All right, take okay, care. See you guys later. Bye. Romano saying every Friday in the Ben Jarofsky Show, the Romano Rundown. Any updates for us, Steve, before we head out the door? Uh, I think we're good. Everybody, uh, stay safe. Uh, boy, what... Get some popcorn and watch that uh, Trump rally tomorrow, huh? Oh, my God. I forgot all about the Trump rally. Well, I guess I know what we'll be talking about on Tuesday, D. (laughs) The Trump rally. Anyway, thank you uh, to Ramana Hussein. And, of course, thanks to the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would not be possible. And as Ramana Hussein and Scooby-Doo can tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Take care, everybody. And hey, don't forget about this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews available at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Three interviews for you to download Saturday, Stacey Davis-Gates, still talking. Sunday, Sergio Mims and Danielle Scruggs. And Monday, Alder Monday! Ah!
I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.